1: 301.
0: 301.
1: 301. Here we go again. Another (laughs) centennial. Um, How did you sleep last night? We're talking about sleep today.
0: So I, well, when I went to bed, I fell asleep and then I slept all the way until I woke up.
1: That is the magic, right?
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. It wasn't even that it was that many hours. Actually, I think last night I went to bed a little later than usual, but um, I did not awaken during the night, which is, you know, something I could not have said in many times of motherhood. So how about you?
1: I, you know, I almost always look over and see the clock at some point in the middle. It's like the, our dog sleeps in our bed with us and I'm just a really light sleeper these days, but I would say last night was a very good night's sleep. I went to bed at a good time for me. Um, and I think I saw the clock at like 2:45, but only very briefly. So there was no major interruptions.
0: I want to point something out, Sarah. Yeah. I had all of my kids sleep in my bed, but I know you did not, but I never had a dog sleep in my bed. Interesting. Except for our little jerk dog that we got rid of because he wouldn't stop getting in my bed. (laughs) That wasn't really the reason we got rid of him. But like, anyway,
1: would your cat sleep in your bed? Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: And she's abusive about
1: it. But like, I would
0: never let, I would never let my dog sleep
1: in my bed. She's too stinky. My dog is small and doesn't shed but he is still annoying in bed. And it's actually more like it's little noises, I think, that wake me up. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the point of all of this is many of you listening did not sleep through the night last night because you are in the stage where there are guaranteed to be baby wake-ups, toddler wake-ups, or maybe you're in the stage where, in theory, all of your children can sleep all the way through the night. But if you have one or two or three or four, the chances of one of them maybe waking up for the odd reason. I mean, to me, that was the phase that like seemed to go on so much longer than I thought. Like, okay, we've gotten these people capable of sleeping through the night. That doesn't mean they do. Like someone needs a glass of water. Someone has a bad dream times multiple kids. So that's what we're talking about today. Uh, We know sleep is a hot topic and we get to talk about it kind of through the rosy lens of hindsight. Um, it's an area where we were pretty different when we had our babies and toddlers. So we'll kind of talk about that and what, what our sleep personalities were like, or our philosophies when our babies were first learning to sleep, um, and just kind of what our biggest struggles were. So this will be fun.
0: I, I think it's so interesting because this is probably one of the things that we were the most different on when our kids were really little. And so I wonder how that would have come across if we had been like just coming into motherhood at the same time and been like yeah. part of the same peer circle. like. Yeah. You know, you'd probably have been like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe Megan just brings her babies to like anything and just lets them sleep anywhere." And I would have been like, "I never see Sarah because she's home. She always leaves for nap time." Like it just, it's just funny how that's like so not a thing anymore. Yeah. And it's so much easier to like empathize and have compassion and like understanding for another person's way of doing things when you're not in the thick of your own exactly.
1: Time of doing that. Exactly. Yeah. And and like many things, most of this softens a little bit when we're removed from it and we look back yeah. and. We'll talk a lot about that, like just our looking back at ourselves in those sleep-deprived days. So the plan today is we're going to talk a lot about babies and babies and toddlers as they first learn how to sleep um, in the first year or so and, and what we did in that phase. And then later, we're going to talk a little bit about some more bigger kids' sleep issues, which, again, I feel like people don't tell you that nope. you know your 8-year-old might go through a phase where he or she is awake every night. So we have lots to talk about, and we're going to take a break and dive in. but I have a feeling after those 30 days, our listeners will love their Vionic shoes so much they'll be ready to order another pair.
0: Use code the THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at Bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Vionic shoes,
1: wearable being for your feet. We are welcoming back Olive and June as a sponsor. And Megan, I'm so excited about this partnership because with spring right around the corner, I love refreshing the little things in my life, including my manicure. I am the biggest fan of doing my nails at home instead of at a salon because it's convenient, so much cheaper at just $2 a mani, and the results can't be beat. It all begins with Olive and June.
0: Yeah, Olive and June's mani system has everything you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. These are profesh tools designed just for DIY. A couple of the items included are their best-selling poppy, which makes it so easy to brush on a smooth coat even with your non-dominant hand, which you do have to use about half the time, it turns out. (laughs) And their award-winning cuticle serum, which is so nourishing and a finishing touch I love.
1: Well, I've been a big fan of their quick dry polish for a while now. It seriously dries in about a minute, making it perfect for busy moms.
0: Visit oliveandjune.com slash hour for 20% off your first Manny system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E.com slash T-H-E-M-O-M-H-O-U-R for 20% off your first Manny system.
1: All right. So, like we said, I think we we're very lucky to be putting on our wise old sage hats in this episode and and to be coming off a full night's sleep. I'm just empathizing and validating those of you who like this is such a it's such an in your face issue right now. I think it can just be really all-consuming. Like the obsession about getting the right nap schedule or getting the baby to sleep through the night. It's kind of crazy making. Honestly, I think for a lot of moms and if you're in that space where you know, it's all you want to talk to your partner about because you think maybe tonight's the night that you're going to figure out the right strategy. It's just I I have been there and we we get to speak from this position of years down the road. But we do remember what that was like. And hopefully it allows us to be a little more philosophical and maybe give you some perspective. But also, I don't want to diminish how how frustrating it is when you're not getting sleep, your baby's not getting the sleep they need and you can't crack the code. It's just hard.
0: It is. And I want to like speak from the other side and I know we'll dig into that more, but I like decided to kind of opt out of all that um, really pretty early on by just deciding like the way we're going to do it is I'm just going to nurse on demand and we're going to co-sleep because I felt like that would eliminate some of that, um, some of that crazy making and some of that all consumingness of it. But that just leads to other issues like feeling really judged because I co-slept and feeling like no one would understand it or I couldn't, like be honest with people about how the baby and I slept. And if I had gotten a good night's sleep, like almost feeling like I had done that at the expense of my kids' development or something because I wasn't supposed to be. And there's so much um, very dogmatic and very polarizing information and viewpoints out there about sleep that it's really hard not to feel like you're on like one side or the other. And like somehow either making yourself crazy and not getting any sleep, or you're sleeping pretty well, but you're not teaching your baby, quote unquote, how to sleep. And that was the side I found myself on. So like, you almost can't win unless you happen to magically have a good sleeping baby. And then when that happens, you're like, wait a second, right? This can be a thing.
1: And then you'll have another one and you'll realize like, oh, it wasn't anything I did. Right. (laughs) Exactly.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Uh, Okay. So I want to start by talking about what we thought baby sleep was going to be like before we had kids. And I can go first on this one, but I want you to think about before you had your first baby, what kind of exposure had you had to other people's babies and what kind of preconceptions did you go in with around sleep? And I can just tell you, I was very misinformed. I didn't have any older (laughs) siblings or cousins. Um, you know, my mom always loved babies, but I was always the oldest. So I didn't um I didn't have any peers ahead of me having babies. I had two or three mom friends who had babies just before me, but I mean like 4 to 6 months, so they were they were not experts by any means. And I actually went to a sleep like seminar when I was still pregnant, and I was so naive. I went with my friend who had had a new baby. And it was this woman named the Sleep Lady who's still around. And she has a book and I, I actually still really I I credit her a lot for being kind of a middle of, of the road approach that I ended up liking. But I think what's so funny to me is I went to the seminar still pregnant thinking I was going to learn kind of what I needed to know so that my baby could sleep through the night. And I really thought that once your baby slept through the night, you were done like that was it. That was all you that was the thing I needed to learn how to do. And of course, overachiever me, I'm like eight months pregnant sitting in this seminar and all these new moms are like have real baby, like real babies that are, you know, now have outside. sleep issues on the right. outside. And they're asking these questions and I'm kind of picking up on this vibe like, okay, okay, I get it. You can either be like hardcore, Ferber, cry it out, or you're really not that and you're anti that. I'm kind of picking up on these two sides and I'm so naive. And then I liked that the sleep lady really seemed to be a little bit more attachment oriented and a little bit gentler in her approach. Um, And she had a book. And anyway, I'm just it is so funny to me that that's what I thought I needed to know was just how to get from zero months to whether you call it four months or six months or eight months. I just thought it was done after that. And that is the funny part, because many of my sleep woes were not newborn sleep woes. They were older baby, toddler and kids sleep woes. And nobody told me that like, I really was never going to sleep through the night for like many, many years. Probably it's good. They didn't tell me that, but I was, I was right. so naive. So how about you? Well, and
0: it, there is like, you do feel like there's this finish line if you get your baby to sleep through the night. And I remember with Jacob, the first time he slept through the night and I was like, wow, yeah, I can't like, I'm done. I did it. I can't, <laughs> wow, that's, that's earlier than I expected. <laughs> oh, that is so funny. Um, oh. Okay. So for me, like my mom, been in a daycare out of our house from when I was about six or seven till I was 12. So I definitely knew that getting kids to sleep is a pain. Like, I remember my mom, because she started the daycare, um, she got a whole bunch of babies all at once, right? So these, ba- <laughs> like, really, like, the whole first crop of babies that stayed with her for four, five, six years. Wow. Until they all went off to school. Um, there was this, like, this little pestle of them. And they were all around the same age. Like, I think when she first got them, they were between like four months and eight months or something oh, little. Yeah. And then they all kind of grew up in this pack together. Um, and so I was very hands on, like summer breaks. I was helping at nap time. And my mom is a very no nonsense person about sleep. Like she kind of came from an era that was very much like you just put the baby in a playpen with a bottle and you walk out of the room and they figure it out like that. was, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure how I was, you know, put to bed. Um, yeah. and, and her approach with these, with having like six to eight little kids, you know, some like would have siblings, little siblings coming in. So there was always like a baby coming up behind the two and three right. year olds. But I just remember going in the living room and my mom would draw the curtains and would, they all had like a little sleeping mat. And so they would all get laid out with their blankies and their pacifiers and their little oh. lovies. And then we would, my mom would put on Mr. Rogers and they would watch oh. Mr. Rogers and then she would turn it off. And then it's like, now y'all go to bed. and. <laughs> I remember like, sometimes they just kind of didn't like, I don't know, but, but because it's a daycare situation, they also don't do anything. Like it's very different than if they're in their own home, they would not necessarily go to sleep, but they just like lay on their blankies and suck their thumbs and look around. And so I kind of always had this feeling like, Oh, babies don't just go to sleep when you tell them to, I see. Right. And when they were really little, of course they were in cribs all over the house and stuff like that. And so that was a totally different thing. And, I remember like running from crib room to crib room to kind of like calm a baby. Like, I just remember that being a thing. Um, But at the same time, it was a little misleading because it's different when it's, first of all, my kid, my mom needed these kids to go to sleep. She could like sit down and have a break for half an hour. And there was too many of them. She couldn't have them all running around all day trying to like put them down. But I just think that my memory of it was like, it's a hassle and it's, it's just kind of what you do. Like, but it, but it all works out. Um. And then my sister started having kids when I was 13. So I spent a lot of my teen years and she was very much like me. Like kids kind of slept where they fell. She would nurse them to sleep or not. Um, yeah. I remember rocking my little nieces and nephews to sleep all the time, walking them, rocking them if I was around them. So I guess I guess I had a really pretty realistic idea that yeah, no, like little, no little kid wants to go to sleep if they don't have to. Yeah. Like that's like I knew that for sure going in and I knew there was going to be work involved. And I could either be part of that or like, I guess, try to figure out some way to circumvent the system. And like I said, when I started, when I did a little bit of reading, I kind of realized that just wasn't my style. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing I think I've mentioned on the show before, or definitely to you, Sarah, is that I did so much reading about pregnancy, childbirth, and breastfeeding when I was pregnant Mm -hmm. that I completely forgot to read anything about (laughs) baby development. Yeah. I, I think because I grew up around little kids, I just thought I'd figure that out and I didn't worry yeah. about it. So, like, I just didn't think about it. And then I had a baby and I'm like, oh, it turns out I don't really know everything. Turns yeah. out there's some stuff I forgot, or I've never actually, you know, kept one of these alive on my own. So um, I felt like I was kind of playing catch up. And, and Jacob was a relatively easy, good sleeping baby. He was my only baby that ever took a pacifier, which was really helpful mm-hmm. at nap times and stuff. It really wasn't until Isaac was born and was considerably not as good uh-huh. was sleeping that I was like, man, I am ill prepared. I did not. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. Um, it wasn't until at least he was a baby, but I actually think it might've been Owen who was another kind of bad sleeper and mine staggered. It was like good sleeper, then bad sleeper. Then you get to the good sleep. You're like, Oh, I'm past the bad. Then another bad sleeper. Yeah. Um, I picked up Elizabeth Pantley's book. I think it's called the no cry sleep solution. And mm-hmm. I, I really liked that it wasn't so dogmatic and it was gentler, but like, I also, by the time I discovered it, I just kind of—I don't—I think I tried a few things, but yeah, it was almost too late for this old dog, yeah, to change my spots. Which is like I, I totally messed up that um, metaphor, but you know what I mean.
1: You know, I—I I know exactly. I didn't what learn a new mean. trick. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, I love that. I love hearing that, and we're gonna kind of stay in this. I don't know. Not hypothetical is the wrong word, but this look back phase. So I I wanted to share my impression because you and I met after we both had babies. Well, no, I had Violet, but I, I didn't ever know you as a mom with babies. So I only know this from hearing you tell stories. And in my mind, you just were very chill about sleep. So I'm going to tell you kind of my impression of you. And then I mm-hmm. want you to correct me or like, tell me where 'Cause I, I everybody has issues with sleep or stressors right. or the things that were hard. And you've touched on a couple. So I have this image of you basically co sleeping and nursing on demand for two or three years, like until the next baby comes along and kicks them out or or whatever, however they transition out of your bed. And I don't feel like you ha it, it feels to me like you didn't have a lot of stress around sleep. And that's the part I wanted to unpack because I'm sure there were things that felt like like stressful or like you mentioned earlier, being judged maybe because you had chosen that approach. So yeah.
0: Yeah. I think for me that the, the harder parts were like, I was never really worried or stressed about sleep as a concept. Like I never worried that my babies weren't getting enough. I didn't worry Mm -hmm. that I wasn't getting enough. I actually, besides some, I mean, obviously all moms go through sleep deprivation. I'm no, I was no um, exception with any of them, even the good sleepers. There was definitely phases, but like, Overall, my nighttime sleep was fine. I I would say. Like from the time we finally kind of figured it all out, Mm -hmm. I felt rested enough to make it and not to feel for a mom of as many kids as I had, it was fine. It was more like the um like the effects of having that be the life, the lifestyle, I think. Mm -hmm. There's like the residual effects being one of them being babies used to going to sleep with me. So I'm pretty much always on. It was harder Mm -hmm. for other people to put the babies to sleep, except for their dad, who could e- put them to sleep much more easily than me. Which, right. So it's, it's like a weird thing. He could put them down really quickly. It would take longer with me because I was nursing, bring anybody else into the picture, especially with the two who didn't like to sleep much. And it was a lot harder. Um, mm-hmm. And then I think that just the, the, the impression I have, like looking back at that time of my life is feeling very tethered to my bed. Mm-hmm. Because this is probably why I still like work in bed and stuff. Like <laughs> feeling like because I have this little this baby or you know young toddler or whatever who just fell asleep next to me. Now I'm kind of stuck here. Mm-hmm. Can't move them into a crib and they're not in a crib. So there's like nowhere I can go. And that was probably the biggest challenge for me. It really wasn't mm-hmm. the. It wasn't really the lack of schedule that didn't really bother me. Um, naps were a bummer because I never quite figured out how to get, in particular, the two hard ones. Down for a nap without me having to be actively involved the whole time, even when they were asleep. That was the biggest trick. And then just also feeling like if I went someplace and I was around other people and I, it was time to put the baby down, knowing I wouldn't be able to be one of those moms who just like steps into a back room for a few minutes, um, with a pack and play and then emerges and their baby's asleep. Like that was never me. And, um, I just had to almost like shrink down my social circles to be okay with that or like right. be really like I just the way I hung out with people was very different yeah. in those days. So, yeah, so it did, it definitely didn't it wasn't without issues,
1: you know? Right. No, I I love hearing that and it's it's so funny because when you're a real schedule stickler like I was, you also have to shrink your your social circles and and different types of gatherings have different types of challenges. So it's almost like, you know, it it, it like everything. It just both comes with I guess different things right. to consider. Um, yep. So spoiler alert, I was very opposite. And I think most people already know that about me. One thing that I, I'm very grateful that that sleep lady lecture that I went to and her book really um, emphasized not doing much for several months. And I, I'm i so glad that that was her message because I think I would have been very susceptible to a dogmatic newborn mm-hmm. schedule. and. Hey, if you're listening and a newborn schedule worked for you and saved your sanity, I'm like, I'm all for whatever makes moms feel relaxed and confident. Truly like that's, that's, I think that can look different ways. But I think for me, if I had accidentally happened on a sleep method that had heavily focused on eating, feeding, sleeping, changing schedules in the newborn days, I I could have missed out honestly and yeah. I just, I happened into her philosophy that really was very just responsive and relationship and attachment based in the first several months. And so I didn't, I didn't do anything really about sleep for, I don't know, a, a three months, three, four months. And then it was more like pay attention to their cues and try to lengthen the stretches. And mm. I didn't do what, what people would just call sleep training until more like six months. And I and then it's almost more like in the later baby and toddler years when looking back, I I was very schedule oriented. And then you add more kids. And the, then it was like the calculus of matching up the naps and matching up the bedtimes. And I was I was solo during a lot of those years in terms of be, bath and bedtime. And so figuring out how to get it all done. So I don't know. I think sometimes on this show, I have the reputation for like the Uber schedule stickler and I was but it it's almost started without that and I'm I'm grateful for that. I think that was like a happy accident because I totally yeah. could have been someone who got really sucked into like a really a very scheduled newborn and I'm glad that I didn't. So, makes sense. Speaking of that, is looking back is there anything that you would tell a new mom Megan or like an in the trenches Megan? to do differently or anything that you looking back wish you would have done differently about sleep?
0: Well, I think that, and you talked about like kind of the happy accident of accidentally falling into this, like more attachment relational style, um, beginning Mm -hmm. and then kind of working into more structure. And I wish, well, I don't wish like it's hardly hard to look back and, and say, I wish I'd done anything differently because I'm here. We all are and it all worked out fine. Um, But I think one thing I could have benefited from is just being exposed to more middle ground um, sleep. I'm not even going to say training because that's not quite the right word. Methods, methodology, philosophies that were less dogmatic. I tended to see the world very black and white. Like you were saying, like, either you're like ferberizing or you're doing nothing. And Mm -hmm. By the time I could have really started to benefit from more regular nap schedules, and again, like I really think it's the naps that I really could have used help with. Mm-hmm. Nighttime sleep was what it was, and it was fine. Uh, but I really could have used like some help just figuring out how to get naps more regular and less dependent on me. And I think if I'd been exposed earlier to maybe some kind of methodology or or mentality or philosophy that was like. Hey, you can sleep the you can sleep however you want at night. Um but we're, we're going to try to figure out how to like when you want this to not work or to be different during the day, right? Like yeah. you also have options. And I think I fell into the idea that because I had chosen this other path, there was no such thing. Like there was mm-hmm. nothing I could do about it. It was yeah. like I wasn't going to do the strict um training. So my only other option was nothing. And I think there's probably tools I could have utilized like really watching cues having the patience to see it through knowing that it was going to take a few weeks and being able to see that through might have mm-hmm. helped me out. Um, on the other hand, I am somebody who's very busy. I tend to stay active and I look back now at some of those naps where I was kind of forced to like curl up next to a little one is like this sort of I don't know, like forced respite which yeah. I really liked and I got a lot of writing done. Man, I, yeah. I wrote a lot with like a baby you know, or a toddler curled up next to me. And so like, I can't, it's not like a regret. I just think it's probably something I could have saved myself a little frustration maybe yeah. if I'd figured the net thing out. And now I kind of know that there are ways you can do both. Like you can mm-hmm. be a co-sleeper, nur- you know, on-demand nurser at night and still have your baby go down for bed in the crib and right. sleep well that way. And yeah. I just couldn't, I couldn't quite figure out how to mesh those two things together.
1: Well, I so, don't, think I don't you're, know. What about you? I don't think you're alone in that <laughs> yeah. at all. I mean, I think that's part of new motherhood is like we do think that it's one or the other, and it takes till we're in this position to not see it so that way. So, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I obviously wish I could tell my former self to lighten up a little bit. I mean, that's kind of the predominant feeling. But here's something that was really tricky about that whole like, lighten up, Sarah. Like, it's fine if the baby's up half an hour late thing. I really felt a lot of pressure and judgment for being so, you know, kind of strict with sleep, especially in the years when I had maybe like a preschooler, a toddler, and a baby. And it was like everybody's sleep had some structure. And I was the only one who knew. And it was like, it was like, oh, Sarah's like all wound up about nap time. We got to get home. And I felt a lot of, kind of pressure and judgment to lighten up. But I also like the, the yeah, but part of me inside wanted to be like, I, I am trying to put some structure in place so that I can have some time to myself, have some time with my spouse, have some time to work on creative projects. Like I felt like in part, some of the things I was doing that others were seeing as really rigid or overly controlling, I was actually trying to give myself a break, if that makes sense. Like It looked like I was all stressed out, but in fact, I was trying. It was self-care in a way like I needed some predictability. I needed to know when I could get my work done. I needed to know when I would be able to go to sleep and how I could get the most rest. So that was just kind of like a mind jumble for me in those in those years. And and I just feel I feel for anybody who feels judged for being like super rigid in the same way I feel for anybody who feels judged because they're not structured enough. So it, it works both ways. I think if I actually had a piece of tactical advice for myself, it would be to let the hard work of setting those routines and those structures in the first like 18 months, let the in, enjoy the fruits of that labor sooner, because I really held on to really strict nap mm. schedules for my older toddlers. And I'm talking now about like, say two and a half to three and a half. Most of my kids gave up naps around three and a half or a little later. Um, and I it really took me till the third kid was almost three to realize like, okay, a one-year-old is much different than a two-and-a-half-year-old in terms of how they're going to behave if they skip a nap. And I kind of, I white-knuckled for so long that I didn't realize that I really had a lot more flexibility in the older toddler years. And I, I mean, I stayed home from stuff and I left stuff early and I kept doing that probably for longer than I needed to. And I still could have had my structure and had my schedule, but I think I could have enjoyed um, the toddler years. And I just, I didn't know that toddlers could be a little more flexible without a nap because I hadn't, I literally had never experienced it. So yeah, I mean, I would have well, definitely lightened up in those years.
0: It's so funny how this like really plays into our personalities in such a, like, it's like a microcosm of how we approach life, right? Like yeah. you're always trying to solve for the problem that could happen, uh-huh. whether or not it'll actually happen. You don't know because you already right. solved you already solved for it. And you might have stressed yourself out a little bit doing that. And I'm more like, eh, I'm going to assume there's not going to be any problems. And if there are problems, I'll deal with them. Yeah. And then sometimes by doing that, I buy myself problems I didn't need to buy myself. So right. but it's like there's no you, you kind of <laughs> it's it's really hard to be have a middle ground between those two. Yeah. Those two approaches to life, because if. I were it being with my personality, if I were um borrowing trouble, as I like to say, uh-huh. um all the time thinking ahead to what could go wrong, but then still experiencing it going wrong in the moment, like I just feel yeah. like I would rather choose one or the other I think and you, I don't, yeah you know
1: exactly yeah. then you're miserable on both ends so <laughs> think exactly. well, we're we're good for each other in that way right
0: I agree um, I agree because like a lot of our conversations I think end up pushing us toward one like in the right direction for that thing
1: yeah yeah you know yeah um well before we go to break i wanted to mention i was having a little like deja vu thinking about naps because we haven't talked a lot about you talked about your nap woes but we haven't really talked about how we approached or i haven't daytime sleep but lucky for you all listening we took a listener question a while back and i wrote it down it's episode 224 from September 2019, right in the middle, right at the 30 minute mark, and a listener, I think who had had twins, just asked us to talk about our approach to naps. And I remember you just let me talk for like 10 minutes, and I had so much to say because I remembered because this was such a huge part of my life. So yeah. if you want to deep dive into more structured Sarah's nap approach, I don't even remember what I said, but I will link that. Well, I in had the nothing show to notes. say. I was yeah. like, I don't know.
0: Yeah. I just yeah. showed up. Exactly. Sometimes they happened. Sometimes they didn't. I don't know.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I also have a freakishly good memory for chronological events. I have such a bad memory for so many things, but I can remember like when things happened. like a baby was 15 months when they went from two naps to one. I don't know why those details take up space in my brain that clearly should be used for better things, but, um, it's useful when asked about nap schedules. So I will link that up as well. And then Megan, we will go to break and we're going to talk about bigger kids sleep issues when we come back.
0: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
1: Okay, Megan, I feel like this is where a huge portion of our listeners are right now. They're in the stage of life where maybe they've conquered sleeping through the night for the first baby or even a couple or two or three babies. And they're reaching that point where it's like, I thought everyone was just going to sleep through the night after they slept through the night. And now surprise there are these other sleep issues. And I, I talked earlier about how I really had no idea that toddlers and preschoolers and little kids and big kids continue to night wake for various reasons, not at the same intensity. But if you have more than one kid, the chances of someone waking up at night are pretty good. Yep. So I want to ask you, what kind of sleep surprises did you encounter post, you know, a- after the co-sleeping newborn and young toddler phase?
0: Yeah. Um, you'd think that I would be that I would have been more prepared because I was not a good sleeper when I was like, I'm going to say six on, um, mm-hmm. my mom told me I was a very good baby sleeper. And again, I think part of the parenting philosophy from which she came, she wouldn't have known anyway. Right. Like, <laughs> I wasn't a big crier. So if she left the room and I never slept, like, how would she know? Would she but know? I was told, yeah. I was told that I was a good sleeper. And I remember being a bad sleeper. Um. Having a really hard time falling asleep at night, staying up way too late, reading under the covers, having a really hard time getting up in the morning. I just remember, I remember that basically the whole time I was like a little kid. And then in my teen years, it really just kind of evened out. I think I was just more tired, you know? So I just slept more. But so you would think I would have gone in with a little more empathy toward that being the case for kids, but I was surprised. And I think the biggest one that always would get me is when I finally, like you were saying with a four month old, you think you got them down, they've slept through the night for the first time, and you think you're done. But that doesn't just happen then. It happens again and again and again. And like Owen had night terrors. And I really thought we were on the other side. He was a terrible sleeper as a baby. And then he kind of evened out as a toddler. Mm -hmm. And he was still nursed to sleep. But like I could put him in his little toddler bed and he would stay asleep. And it was fine. And then he started having night terrors. And that went on. He was about two and a half. Um, And that went on for at least a year probably three nights a week, three, four nights a week, he would wake up screaming, screaming. Can you you pause? I know
1: we're not medical providers, but you know a lot about night terrors. And I've seen this question come up in our Facebook group. If someone knew nothing about night terrors, can you just do like pretend you're Wikipedia for a real quick? Because you know a lot. Well,
0: the last research I did, it's been a while, but my understanding is that is a phenomenon that they do not really understand. Mm -hmm. It's like a nervous thing almost. And do not really understand. It is not a bad dream. dream. Nope. It's not a nightmare. Like, cause I that's what we thought he's having a bad yeah. dream, but you can't wake them up. Like they're, it's almost like they're in a, like a seizure state or like a mm-hmm. weird in between sleep phases state yeah. where you, they can't be awakened, um, but they're not really asleep and they're just like, Owen would just scream and scream mm-hmm. and scream. And his eyes would be open and he'd be screaming, but he was in no way conscious. Like and it, he was not there.
1: It often and, happens a few hours after bedtime, right? There's yep. some, like, yes, there's a few right commonalities. Yeah. yeah.
0: So we'd put him to bed. You know, we would put the kids to bed at nine and then we would just be settling in. Like we'd watch a show and we would just be drifting off to sleep and hear screaming. Oh, my gosh. And the first time it happened, we had house guests. I remember that. And everyone's like, what is going on? And then like after that, we thought it would end and it just didn't. It just kept going um, several nights a week. And John, it finally became like a joke with John and I because we're like, what on earth? OK. And we would just take turns walking him yeah. around and it would last maybe an hour. And then he would just zonk out and go back and to sleep. And you're not
1: supposed to try to wake them, right? Or talk no, to them? No, we didn't I've know that, that at first. Yeah. At first we would, we
0: tried to yeah. run his feet underwater and like, yeah. we're like, what is going on? Is he having like a seizure? Or like, he didn't have a fever, but that's all I could think of. Like, it kind of reminded me, um, at one point William had had febrile seizures when he was really little. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, maybe it's like that. Like, maybe he's like really out of his mind sick, but he wasn't sick. So finally we kind of figured it out and then we just lived with it. And it just became part of our... Oh, my you know, gosh. It was, was part of what we lived with. Jacob still talks about it. He remembers it really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would have been, you know, like nine at the mm. time, 10, maybe. Um, so that was one. Um, for a little while, this one's actually more funny than anything, but William was my only real sleepwalker. Jacob, I think, has sleepwalking tendencies sometimes. Even now, I'll see him, like, in the middle of the night walking around the house, and I'm pretty sure he's not completely with it. But Will would do things like he peed on the vacuum. <laughs> oh, yeah. because he thought it was the bathroom like just like a kid getting up and having a complete experience that has nothing to do with reality yeah and uh, that one was actually kind of funny though It like that it was really like a funny. really short period of time and it, we would just like lay in bed and laugh because at the time our bedroom was like off of the main living area and if uh-huh. the door was open I'd just be like what's Will doing <laughs> he's gonna. He's gonna. Oh, oh, Bonking oh, oh! Jumping around. Being oh, P- in the dishwasher this time. Stop him. Oh like God. anything that looked like a thing, he would just be on it. That's um so Let's see who else. Like, uh oh, nighttime visits. This was again mostly Owen, and he would do this thing where he'd come stand next to my bed, silently staring at me, and like <laughs> compel me to wake up with his eyes. It was. Oh gosh. Was be, he awake I totally or was it a little asleep.
1: groggy? No, he was too. totally awake. He, he was, was totally okay. awake.
0: And he just was afraid or whatever. And he would just come stand by my bed until his mere presence woke me up. And oh so there's gosh. something really unnerving about waking up to like a, you know, little ghostly seven year old staring at you in bed. And I'm like, ah. And so I, um, we finally had like, I wrote about this. I think it's yeah. still around somewhere. Um, I just had like a little blanket nest on the floor for him for a really long time that he would just kind of curl up and fall asleep. But I would say that that, Clara was never really like that. Um, she's always been a pretty solid sleeper. So really it kind of like those kinds of problems kind of died out with Owen. And now we've gone into like the big kid, weird stuff, which everyone listening who's got little kids, you have this to look forward to. It's completely unpredictable. Um, it doesn't, the same kids don't keep the same weird habits forever, but like, you know, they all seem to go through a phase where they want to nap all afternoon, like at the worst possible time to nap. <laughs> and then I get all anxious about it. Cause I'm like, if you it's like, if you snack, you won't have, any appetite for dinner. I'm like, if you nap, you won't be able to sleep tonight. And sometimes that's true. And sometimes it's not, or like going through phases where they're like impossible to blast out of bed in the morning. Um, I would say most of my kids now, except for Clara are great at getting up in the morning. They really get going pretty easily when their alarm goes off. As long as like, they know they have a good reason to get up. Clara is at that kind of weird middle age where she's still really depending on me to get her up. And, um, she's harder she's really Mm -hmm. still a lot harder to get up. But I know that'll I know that'll pass. That's pretty normal in my experience for her age. And then they've all had phases where they've had a hard time going to sleep. And I will say we've used melatonin. Um, I don't like to use that for more than a few days in a row. And I've actually also told my kids I was giving them melatonin and giving them vitamin C before (laughs) because I do think there's a placebo effect. Uh And I think I know that melatonin truly is like a hormone that really does help regulate sleep. And it can really be a good short term solution but i i have read that it can be kind of habit forming so um if we've used it for a few days and it feels to me like the the child is depending on it and like asking for it two hours before bedtime because they're afraid they can't sleep without it then i have in the past i'm not even gonna lie given like those little vitamin c pills look very similar
1: it's so funny a little placebo i I think that makes sense yeah Um, they just
0: they want like a crutch like they want yeah something that helps them chill out so they feel like they can fall asleep because if they don't feel like they're going to fall asleep they won't fall asleep. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Well, and um there's so much of that anxiety spiral of like now yeah. I've had a hard time falling asleep so now I'm worried about having a hard time right. falling asleep and then you can't fall asleep. So. Yeah, I mean, okay, so a few things I reflected on of surprises I wasn't expecting. I would say regression in general and I, by regression I just mean any backwards progress of sleep. So, Allegra was probably the best infant sleeper, but when she regressed, she regressed hard. Like all of a sudden, you know, she'd been sleeping through the night and then she was waking up every hour for no reason. And this is when she was like an infant, like seven months probably, but she had had been the best all night sleeper, you know, up to that point. Um, Regression just always felt so frustrating and so like. For my personality, it's like I did everything right. Like I did this. I I checked this box. Like, why are we going backwards? And the truth is kids regress. Adults regress. Like phases happen and they don't always have a medical or a psychological explanation. Sometimes they do. Sometimes there is some kind of developmental reason or something to get checked out, of course, but also sometimes it's just the way of the universe. And I think that was always a hard thing for me to accept, you know, a toddler who'd been sleeping through the night for a year. And all of a sudden, not just wakes up once with a bad dream, but now is waking up every single night. And Violet used to do this thing. Well, first of all, Violet did not sleep through the night once until she was two and a half. And every time I say that, I have to like fact check myself. But because before Violet, when people said that, I just thought they meant rarely or like not consistently. (laughs) But I mean, never. And I had some sleep tricks up my sleeve by the time I got to her and she still never did. Then she finally did. And then she would still do this thing we called the reverse nap because you know how a toddler's nap is like one to three in the afternoon. Often she would just be awake, wide awake from one to three in the morning. And she was in a crib at that point still. And she'd, she'd call out, she might cry a little bit. She wasn't screaming, crying. And I would just go in and say, you know, you're okay. Like, you know how to do this. And she would just either be kind of whiny, not not full blown crying, but just kind of whiny on and off or she'd be quiet for 20 minutes and then it would get going again. It was just enough to make you bonkers.
0: Let me ask you this. I just want to interrupt really, really quick, because I think that it's so interesting how I had never really thought about this before, but how much less like room we make for babies and toddlers to go through the normal phases that we as adults still go through. And, you know, for ourselves, a lot of times it's kind of like environmental, like you get a new job or like. Um, The weather changes or the sun is going down sooner or coming up later or whatever. It it changes your sleep. And I I wonder if you noticed um, your kids sleep uh, disruptions being tied to other like um, milestones. I definitely did. I definitely did. Right before they learned to do something new, their sleep would go catawampus every time. Yeah. And then
1: as they got older, um, things like new school adjustments yep. and, you know, it, you would think it would be more linear. Like, let's say a preschool is t- preschoolers telling you I'm worried about going to school in the morning or I don't like my teacher or I don't have any friends. Well, that would make sense that they'd be a little anxious at bedtime. But of course, they never tell you that you just right. you don't even know connect that the dots. they don't even know that <laughs> right. So you think they're perfectly happy at school because they're not complaining. They're going every day. And then you're like, why aren't they sleeping? And you're like. Oh, they're still processing this new thing. So arrival right. of a sibling for sure. It's so common, especially before you have the baby. It's like they know, they know something's going to happen. So they'll regress before you have the baby. They'll regress after you have the baby, um, and then yeah, lots of like school and social transition. So a hundred percent. And and yeah, there is. We don't. We want an explanation somehow, or like um like an easy fix, and that was always hard for me. Yeah. Um. I want to mention illness. I mean, I have thankfully very healthy children who just were prone to bronchial stuff, especially Reed and Violet. So they'd get your average cold and then they'd get the lingering cough. And we've talked about this a million times because you've had Owen and Clara with the same thing where sometimes it gets a little asthma or we've had pneumonia and bronchitis a couple of times. But it feels in my memory, it feels like someone had a nighttime cough for like five years straight. And sometimes it was both of them. And there's the nothing kind to... where you hear it. Yes. I just hear it. And yeah. And sometimes they're sleeping through it and I'm not. And so that was, that was, you know, of course, like there was nothing to do about it, but man, did I have some really terrible nights of sleep when my kids were more like three and five and it wasn't yeah there was nothing for me to do. It's not like with a night terror or a baby who's nursing where you're like up and active. Sometimes we did the nebulizer, we did a steamy shower, but often it was just me lying awake, listening to my kids cough. And then my mind starts going like, okay, I guess we're not going to school tomorrow. I wonder if they have a fever. Like I just, maybe I had more of that than the average mom, or maybe it just is seared more in my memory. But if you out there are sleep deprived because of, hacking nighttime coughs. I just, I'm, I'm with you because it, after a while I just, my whole body would be tense listening for that cough or you'd put them to bed and they did really well all day. They didn't cough all day and you'd put them to bed and like an hour later it starts and you're like, no. <laughs> so that, that was a hard one. Um, and then last thing, both Reed and Violet, um, have had, I would say like, call them like bedtime worries where it's not just that they're staying up late and they can't fall asleep. It's that they have, genuine anxiety that comes on at bedtime and both around age six six seven I think it's really common um we've done I think I've probably talked about it on the show before but we've done some like meditations on the calm app I eventually let them fall asleep to an audiobook which I for some reason didn't want to initially I didn't like the idea of like an iPad in their room but whatever you do what you got to do so we worked definitely worked through some of those sleep disruptions. And the reason those were hard, honestly, was it was the first of all I was older kids. So I was expecting more of them. But it was also the time of night where I thought I was about to be off duty. So it's like eight o'clock and I'm ready to sit down and watch a show. And it was like this whole other stint of parenting that I hadn't banked on. And sometimes it would last on and off for like an hour, hour and a half. And it was, you know, Reed would have deep thoughts about death and questions. And like, I had to like, really, I had to put on my like big girl mom pants and like have philosophical conversations and like, you know, I do my best at being a therapist. It was very different than again, like a coughing toddler or a nursing baby. It was like, it was like, uh, intellectually difficult and I was so close to being at the end of my day. And those that, that was almost as equally frustrating as, you know, the baby who won't quiet down or whatever. So yeah, there's so many, so many flavors of sleep frustration.
0: I am just laughing because I'm thinking about how when I was a little kid, when I went through like my bad sleep phase, a lot of it would be me laying in bed, talking myself into just a tizzy, like getting myself in a lather about my mom. Someday all of her kids are going to grow up and move out of the house and she's going to be so sad. And then I would cry or like my grandma, one day she's going to die and I'm going to be so sad. And then I would cry like just Like I would get myself so super worked up. And the funny thing is now when I'm sleepless, I do the same thing. I like, it's not the same. I don't lay there thinking about like people dying and stuff. It's not quite like that. It's like, I find ways to get myself all emotionally worked up. And I recognize that I'm doing it because I'm tired now. Uh I'm overtired. But at the time I didn't have any tools to know that's what I was doing. And then when you wake up in the morning, you're like, why did I, what was I so upset about last night? Like, (laughs) I imagined that like someone was mad at me who's not, or that, you know, someone didn't care about me who does. Like, it was just like these silly things. And it's, you know, I'm now 43. So thankfully I can recognize my patterns a little bit more. And I know that if I'm feeling sad about something that doesn't seem to warrant it, I'm probably just tired and it'll probably be totally fine the next day. But when I was eight years old, I did not have, no. like, the ability or tools to do that. And that's no. so often what's happening with kids. On the outside, it just looks like they're something's off, like developmentally. But it's really a lot of times just mental and emotional. I think yes,
1: totally. And it yeah. can be so hard to suss out as a parent. I know we're going to get questions about this, and someday we'll probably have like a good sleep expert on. But um, it can be really hard to suss out the bedtime stalling that is. Behavioral in nature versus mm-hmm. some of this actual, like e- what I would classify as like anxiety that's happening yeah. at bedtime. I was and, really
0: afraid at bedtime, and I would stall yeah. because I really was terrified. I didn't want to go to bed. Right. Um, yeah, and, and you know anxiety, it, was, it was very insulting almost to be told like, "You'll be fine, right. go to bed. You'll be fine. Oh, Just get a
1: glass of water, go back to bed." Yeah. yeah. And the anxiety I've seen in two of my kids at bedtime is for sure anxiety. They're not trying to play me. And so right. for that reason, I, I was pretty compassionate most of the time. But sometimes it's hard to tell. Sometimes yeah. they are kind of playing you or they're, you know, I've had that too. I've had the kind of bedtime stalling that's the other kind, the behavioral kind that isn't really rooted in those bigger worries. So it's hard to, it's, and then you just, then you you don't know. I mean, is this something to right. take seriously or do I just send this kid back to bed and take a firmer touch? And that is not always easy to figure out. So, right. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I would love to talk a little bit about co-parenting as it relates to sleep issues. And I can go first with this one, but I, I want us both to talk about when you were married and raising babies and toddlers and kids, um, how did sleep disruption get divvied up with you and John? Um, I will go first because ours is pretty, we never had a meeting and talked about this and decided, but it has shaken out with pretty clear lines. And that is, if it's before we've gone to bed, like we're watching TV and somebody's calling out or crying or whatever. Um, anything up until when we are asleep, it's pretty 50-50. Like we kind of look at each other. We take turns. There have been phases where that kid only wants mom or dad. And that's, that's kind of hard. And, but we try to make it fair. So there's very much like a we look at each other and kind of see whose turn it is. And we literally still do this because Violet likes to be checked on until she's asleep if we don't, she will come out to us and we <laughs> that's not good because then she wakes up every time. So we tell her that we're going to come every 10 to 15 minutes and then we keep our promise and we do. And sometimes it's 20 minutes, but so we're still doing this to this day. So that works well. And it's always felt relatively even and fair. Once we're asleep, I am such the lighter sleeper and I am so fast at responding to a kid who needs me that I do pretty much 100% of the middle of the night parenting, which For the most part, it doesn't happen that often anymore. It might be a bad dream, uh, might be a little sleepwalking or, you know, something like that. But for the most part, it's not too often anymore. But it's always been me, almost 100%. The only time I would tag Brian in is in just the terrible sleep days with Violet when she just, I mean, she just wouldn't sleep all night. She'd cry every 45 minutes for no reason And sometimes I'd tag him in toward the very end, like at four in the morning, if I'd already been doing it for hours and then he knew it had been a really, really bad night. And I would, he would just have to be the one to respond or to, you know, do whatever she needed. So middle of the night, it's all me, but here's, here's where it gets back to even Brian does any middle of the night wake up that is not kid related. And the older we get, the more there's like a creaky window in the house or a dog or something. and. And what's great is I can be kind of a freedy cat at night. Like, I can decide that a that a noise has scared me or that, like, I want to check to make sure this door isn't swinging open. And I, I make him do every single one. And I don't even feel bad if I'm just being paranoid. Like, sometimes I will literally, I'll have a bad dream and I'll wake up and I'll be like, can you just go, like. Just check the house and make sure there's no robbers in here. And he that is does one it. thing I
0: miss about being married. Cause yeah. I would say I would do the same thing. Like I don't like the way the wind sounds.
1: Yeah, It's scary then, to me. And he never, ever complains because the number, I mean, he'll never match me. He'll never match right. me in the number of times I've crawled out of that bed to respond to something. But the nice thing is the phase of life that we're in right now, it's, it's like fifty fifty, or even he doesn't than You're getting yours
0: back, right?
1: Yeah, I'm getting mine <laughs> yeah. back, and and so that it. that always kind of worked worked well for us. And I'm always I'm the early riser too, so I was almost always up early with the early riser. So I I did my my lion's share for sure, but I'm getting I'm getting um paid back. So how about you? I love it.
0: Well, you know, I was thinking at first that it was pretty fifty fifty, but but then I thought, wait, that's not true. So. <laughs> So
1: here's, here's what really happened. So (laughs) it's like the the mom version of 50, 50, where it's actually like 90, 10. And we feel like, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. We feel like because we got 10% of help, we're like, wow, that was great. It was better than it would have been if it was a hundred. For easily the first decade that I was a mom. So during all the hardest parts, right. Decade or so. um, John was working on the road out of state when I was pregnant with Clara. He was working out of state. Um, Even when she was a little baby, he wasn't home every night. Like it was, he was just like, um, he was just over in Chicago, but there were definitely nights he had to stay in Chicago. So like, I think that was why I kind of went toward this, like pile all the kids in bed with me approach. It was just like survival and then we could all sleep. And I was so outnumbered and it just, that's how I made it work. And when all of your kids are in your bed, there's fewer, they don't wake you up. Yeah. They're already in your bed, and or so, the wake
1: ups they're so sleepy and brief, it's so sweet right you don't even know that they're happening
0: yeah. and that and that was the it was the same whether they woke up because they wanted you know because they were little nursing babies or they woke up and had a little whine, and I pat their back and they go back to mm-hmm. sleep and so I always had a kid, or sometimes too, especially when he was out of town in bed with me, but it didn't feel like a lot of getting up, so yeah. later, when the kids were um you know, out of our bed. And when he was home, most of the time, it seems like a lot more even, but I was always the much lighter sleeper. It was Mm -hmm. always my side of the bed. The kid would go to first. Mm -hmm. And I think I usually just, and he's, he was a very deep sleeper and he snores. I assume he still snores. Um, and just wouldn't wake up. So so it would have to be really, really worth it for me to go through the effort of waking him. Like, yeah, I would either have to already have had another baby in arms and couldn't get up or I'm so exhausted. I or I just don't want to. And I'm just like at my wits end. There were definitely times he also stayed up a lot later than me. So sometimes he would handle like that first hour or two of bedtime stuff after I fell asleep um, and he'd be watching TV or whatever. So often that that first couple hours he would handle. But if it was like all things equal, we're both asleep. It was almost always me.
1: Did John sleep and, yeah. like? Uh, well, you said he was a deep sleeper. Did he also take longer time to come to? Because this is like, like Brian oh, it was ridiculous. Like, it's like it is ridiculous. Like I can be up huh? dosi- dosing Tylenol. Huh? I can be, I can be dosing <laughs> Tylenol correctly by medical standards. Have a steamy shower going and like talking to a kid. And sometimes like another kid would cry or call out like at the same yeah. time. And Brian's like can i help i'm like well yeah you can but yeah, i've been could've. doing this for like 10 minutes right. like and i didn't even have time to come back and wake you up and someone's puking right. and someone i mean it's just maybe it's a mom thing or a me thing but i can snap I, yes. to full attention very quickly with the exception of there's a few hours early in the night that i am groggier and that's that's kind of funny like if it's within an hour to 3 hours of when i've fallen asleep i i sleep really deeply and it's a little harder but after like 1 in the morning 12 or 1 i'm like i'm good to go like i could pop up and take care of stuff.
0: Yeah. And you know, it's funny, like now that my kids don't wake me, I mean, hardly ever at night do I get awakened anymore. Like r- so rare. And then my kids aren't with me half the time. So you would think I would have outgrown that sort of, or not outgrown, but you would think of like the necessity of me being so mm-hmm. such a light sleeper would have passed by. Cause I didn't used to be that way before yeah. motherhood, but, um, the click of my dog's toenails uh. in, she could be whining, in like two rooms away and I'll wake up and be like, oh, dog's got to go out. Yeah. So I'm still always on. Like I'm yep. still, I, and that never goes away. And I even when the kids aren't here, I'm tuning in to like the animals.
1: Yeah, no, I know. Or my and I think little
0: toenails on the wood.
1: Our sleep so. is going to get worse as we get older anyway. So I think we've had our glory years. They were when I will our, say the yeah. nice
0: thing is I don't feel like I need sleep as desperately as I used to. And I can have a night or two of rotten sleep and feel okay. I don't feel great, oh, but good. I mean, yeah. in my twenties I needed 10 hours and I never got it. So that, right. you know, it's like that. It's like that progressive deprivation. That's not because right. you just had one crappy night of sleep, but because your life is a crappy night of sleep. Yes. Um, never and quite that,
1: full. Yeah. And knowing that sleep will come again. I think there was something almost panic inducing about the days where like, especially when the sicknesses, when my kids were sick with coughs and colds and knowing like, yeah, This is going to be for the next two or three weeks. like, uh, And that's almost like it makes you panic. So if I get a bad night's sleep, I I can pretty much ensure that the next one won't be bad. Like I can just go to bed early or sleep in or whatever. So, Okay. Well, this was really fun. We would love to hear your current sleep woes. Actually, I'd love to get some discussion going in the Facebook group about that. I'm sure we forgot entire... Common childhood categories, sleep yes. categories. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, but we are sending good rest to all of you out there. And hey, before we wrap, um, just wanted to let everybody know that we have the second episode in our two part series about solo parenting is dropping this Friday. We'd love for you to go back and listen to last Friday's episode if you haven't already. And we have um, one page on our site that kind of has all of the solo parenting project all in one place. It's com slash solo. And when you're there, you can also hear clips from solo parents from within our community, which is on, on top of the women we interviewed last week. So building out that whole page and just trying to represent a bunch of different experiences in the solo parenthood realm. So definitely go check that out.
0: Very excited about that one. And Really plays into some of the things we talked about today because all that stuff is exacerbated. I mean, everything we talked about today.
1: Everything is harder. Yeah, when there's not someone to pass the baby off to. All right, well, we will be back again this Friday with part two in that Solo Parenthood series. And we will talk to you then. Hey, everyone, we have a favor to ask. If you are an Apple Podcasts user, can you check really quickly to make sure you're still following the Mom Hour? Apple did one of their big software updates recently, and it changed a bunch of things about how you get the podcasts you're subscribed to.
0: If Apple Podcasts is your podcast app of choice, all you have to do is find your way to our show page and then click the little plus sign or follow in the top right corner. Thanks so much. Sarah, I started a Substack last spring just kind of as an experiment, and it turns out I love it. I'm treating it kind of like an old school blog, writing about things that are happening in my life.
1: Megan, I've loved following your stuff on Substack, and I actually just really like Substack in general.
0: You know, we've both been a lot less active on Instagram lately, and I'm finding that Substack scratches that itch to connect and create without all the busyness of a typical social media feed. So I would love it if Mom or listeners wanted to look me up there. I'm at meganfrancis.substack.com, and that's Megan with two A's. M E A G A N Francis.